The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Mash Neweis, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, Book 5, Chapter 11. To what use am I now putting my soul? That's the question to ask yourself all the time. And you should interrogate yourself. At this moment, what is occupying that part of me they call the command center? What kind of soul do I actually have at the moment? Is it the soul of a child, a teenager, a woman, a tyrant, a farm animal, a wild animal? Okay, so because we are approaching Rosh Hashanah and the Aser Shuva and Yom Kippurim, then when I read this, my mind immediately went to Teshuvah. And an idea occurred to me which might be a new way to approach the Aserius Yumei Teshuva to get the most out of them. This is distinct and unrelated, uh, to my knowledge, unrelated to the radical idea in Teshuva that I wrote about on my Substack this past Friday on uh, on September 7th in my article, uh, What Would Teshuva Look Like If It Were Easy? Okay, so maybe the two ideas can be reconciled, but I uh, don't think that this has anything to do uh, consciously with that idea. So in order to appreciate the, in order to appreciate this, let us review what the Aserius Yumei Teshuva are. And you know, there are many answers to this, but I'm going to present the one I'm most familiar with, which is the Rambam. And we're going to read a couple of Rambams together just to get the context. So in Hilchus Teshuvah, the Laws of Repentance, chapter three, he spends the first half of the chapter talking about how God judges the world, uh, how God judges each one of us when we die and how God judges the world on Rosh Hashanah. So uh, I'm not going to present his whole system, but he says... Just as a person's iniquities are weighed against his merits on uh, at the time of his death. The the so too the uh, each and every year the iniquities of each and every one of the uh, inhabitants of the world are weighed with their merits on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Someone who is found to be righteous is sealed for life. Someone who is sealed for, uh, who is found to be uh, evil is sealed for death, uh, or I guess guilty is sealed, sealed for death. And someone who is in the middle hangs in the balance until Yom HaKippurim, until Yom Kippur. If he did Teshuvah, then he is sealed for life. And if not, then he is sealed for death. Okay, so that's the basic idea of the judgment, okay, uh, and the significance of the 10 days. But then he goes and says two ideas, one about shofar and one about how you should view yourself all time, uh, all year round, and then he returns to the, the 10 days of tshuva. He says, Even though the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a scriptural decree, meaning that it is not something that rationality dictates, it's something that is mandated by scripture, there is an illusion to an idea in it. Klomar, meaning to say. It's as if it is saying, Uru Uru Yishanim, sorry, Yishanim Mishinaschem, Vhekitsu Nyudami Mitir Maschem. Wake up, wake up, you sleepers from your sleep. Uh, be roused, you deep sleepers from your deep sleep. Vhekapsu uh, Bemaasechem, investigate your actions, Vhekizru Bitshuva, and return in repentance, Vzikru Borachem, and remember your Creator. So then he breaks from the metaphor to explain what it's referring to. These are the people who forget truth or reality in the 
temporal vanities. And they spend their entire year immersed in, in, uh, in nothingness and emptiness that does not benefit or save. Look into your souls and improve your ways and your actions. And each one of you abandon your way that is evil and your thought that is not good. So that's what the Shofar is telling you. Wake up to the truth. Wake up to what you're immersed in for your whole year uh, that, and realize it doesn't benefit you and do Teshuvah and remember your Creator. Okay, then he goes on. He says, Therefore, all year long, a person should see himself as though he's half exonerated and half liable. So to the entire world, half uh, exonerated, half liable. If he sinned one sin, then he tilts himself and the entire world to the side of of liability. And he he causes destruction for himself. Asa mitzvah if he did one mitzvah, uh, if he does one mitzvah, then he tilts himself and the entire world to the side of exoneration and he causes for them salvation. this is what it means in Mishlei 10.25 when it says, Tzadik Yisod Olam, that a righteous person is the foundation of the world. This person who made himself righteous has tilted the entire world and saved it. Okay, then he goes back to the theme of the 10 days of Teshuvah. Uh, because of this idea, then the entire house of Israel is accustomed to increase in tzedakah, in uh, charitable acts, and in good deeds, and to be involved in mitzvahs from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippurim, uh, more so than the rest of the year. And all of them are accustomed to get up at night uh, during these 10 days and to uh, pray in the shuls in words of supplication and uh, and sub- submissiveness until daybreak. Okay, that's the minhag of slichos. So there are two problems here with the Assyrian Um I'm sure there's more, but two that come to my mind are, number one, uh, it always feels a little bit like an act, you know, that we like get our act together during these 10 days because we know that our judgment's hanging in the balance and that God's judging us and that we better, you know, we better shape up. And that always feels a little disingenuous, you know, like this is not, we all know that this is not really how we are. Uh, and, you know, even when we take on uh, halachic uh, strictures, for example, there's a, a, a custom, a widespread custom to only eat Jewish baked bread, uh, which is a, a stricture in terms of the, the laws of uh, keeping kosher, uh, as opposed to eating kosher bread that's baked by non-Jews. Um, and so we, the, a lot of people have the custom to uh, only eat Jewish baked bread during these 10 days. And then when the 10 days are up, then they go back to their normal uh, eating habits. So, you know, it's, it feels almost like a little game or like you're, you know, God forbid, like you're trying to fool God. So that's one question. What, what exactly are we doing by by like putting on this increased show of uh, commitment to the system of Torah and mitzvahs during these 10 days? The second question is more of a practical question that I always face, which is that, that 
you know, it always feels like there's a tremendous amount of pressure to completely change all of your your uh, your your ways and your behavior and do teshuva on everything during these ten days, and that's impossible. And it's you're setting yourself up for failure. Okay. Now, again, I wrote an article this past Friday, which might have an answer to that, but I'm not taking that into account here. Uh, so I want to answer that as well. So again, the questions are: what what is the idea of increasing in sadaka and good acts during this time? Uh, and uh, and practically speaking, how do we do teshuva when there's so much to do teshuva on? So I'd like to share an excerpt from the newsletter sent out by Oliver Berkman. Oliver Berkman is the author of the best book that I have read in the last, uh, I guess now it's more than a year, year and a half, um, which is entitled 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Uh, I have recommended this book to so many people. Um, and, uh, it is basically, uh, sounds like a book about time management, uh, in the sense of productivity, but that's not what it's about. It's about recognizing human finitude that you only have on average 4,000 weeks to live. And therefore you can't do everything. And the question is, how do you live with the awareness of your own mortality and make the most out of life? So the author has a newsletter that he calls the imperfectionist and, uh, he sends it out from time to time. And this is an excerpt from the article he sent out on Friday, the 7th, uh, September 7th, 2023. So he says that the main idea is he says, actually, I excerpted a bunch from this. So there's a bunch of ellipses that I'm not going to read here. He says the, the, the main idea is actually doing something is the only thing that counts. Here's what I mean. Everyone seems to yearn for the productivity technique or life philosophy or set of personal rules that will cause them to do more writing, launch a business, be a better listener, or finally start meditating. But nothing beats actually doing a bit of the thing to reinforce to yourself that you're capable of making progress on it. Even ideas like developing better habits or developing a consistent practice, which sounds so proactive, can be counterproductive if they turn the modest challenge of doing a bit of the thing into the more intimidating one of doing it every day from now on. There's no need to feel confident you'll want to do the thing daily for months. All that's required is that you do one bit of it today. Does this sound trite? I think it's the opposite. In podcast interviews, I'm often asked to name one thing listeners could do to forge a better relationship with time. The subtext is usually, what's one technique to start using, one skill to acquire, one product to buy? But I almost always reply along these lines. Identify some project, activity, or relationship that you know matters deeply to you, but on which you are currently taking no action. Then give it a few minutes of your time today. Not every day, just today. That way you'll feel satisfied you did a bit of it, while also strengthening the muscle of confidence and self-trust that you'll be able to do more of it later. And all that aside, you'll have to you'll have spent a few moments of your life, finite time doing something that truly matters to you. Which brings me to one final example of a universal truth made vivid by parenting. This was an um, uh, article about parenting, by the way. Made vivid by parenting and which I write about in 4,000 Weeks. In the end, the reason actually doing things matters so much isn't because it's the right way to raise a successful adult, complete a novel, or achieve some other beneficial future goal. It's because you'll be using a bit of your actual time on the planet to live how you want to live. For finite creatures, this time, right now, really counts for itself. And it's generally a better use of that time to do things that matter rather than building habits or making plans to do what matters later. An hour I don't spend cons- uh, scrolling through my smartphone might in some small way help my son to live a more focused life, but it's also just an hour I didn't spend scrolling through my first smartphone so the two humans got the chance to pay attention to each other instead. Okay, that was a, that was more of a conclusion about the parenting thing. So the message he's talking about here 
is that there's a certain intimidation factor about having these long-term plans and goals, whether it's projects or habits, and then trying to make commitments to stick with these things forever. And he's suggesting that instead of doing that, find a way to spend a small few minutes today doing a bit of that and just make it equal to do it today, okay? Um, so what do all these ideas, ideas have to do with each other? So let's go back to the Marcus Aurelius, all right? Marcus Aurelius wrote, I'll read it again. He says, to what use am I putting my soul? That's the question to ask yourself all the time. And you should interrogate yourself. At this moment, what is occupying that part of me they call the command center? What kind of soul do I actually have at the moment? Is it the soul of a child, a teenager, a woman, a tyrant, a farm animal, a wild animal? So Marcus Aurelius is really going on this notion that who you are is what you are choosing, is, is how you're using your Bechira, how you're using your free will. And that can change from moment to moment. Uh, and the reason why he needs to say this is that there is a fallacy of thinking that there is a core, unchanging, quote-unquote, real self. I gave a sheer on this, and I wrote an article on this called Don't Believe in Yourself. It was based on the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, Chapter 2, Mishnah 4, which states, Hillel Omer, uh, Hillel says, uh, one of the statements he says, Al tamin ad yom do not believe in yourself until the day of your death. So the examples that the commentators give there is that there was uh, a Kohen Gadol who was a righteous man who served as a Kohen Gadol for 80 years, and then in the end he became a heretic. So you never know, uh, you know, don't, don't uh, trust in yourself that you're going to remain in line with your values. Uh, until the day of your death, because you you might always uh, change. But the idea I explained it there is to take the the statement literally, do not believe in yourself until the day you die, which means because you're a human being who's constantly making decisions and constantly fluctuating and constantly making choices, there is no self. There's no core underlying self that is a real entity. Rather, you are who you choose and what you choose to make yourself into from moment to moment. Uh, and the only time that you could really believe in a self is when you die, because then you can look back and say, okay, well, that's what I was throughout my life. But as long as that, that um, uh, as the tab is still open, uh, then, uh, then you still can become other things and uh, undermine everything that you were or completely change uh, whatever you were for the better. So I, I think that that's the message that, um, that Oliver Berkman is making, which is that, that you might aspire to be a certain kind of person. But uh, but aspirations and plans in your head can only go so far, and they're often counterproductive. So if you really want to be a certain type of person, then you actually need to do those things. And in order to do those things, it starts with just doing a little bit of it each day. Um, and uh, and you know he, he gave an example that actually uh, I uh, I recently. Um, uh, uh, got back into, which is a meditation. You know, I, I have made episodes in the past about meditation and there were times in, in my life in recent years when I would meditate for half an hour each day, I fell out of it over the summer and I wanted to get back into it. And so I made the, um, the commitment to doing 10 minutes a day. And I got myself a meditation accountability buddy, uh, who I report to at the end of the week. Uh, and he does the same and we compare notes on how much we meditated. Uh, and, uh, you know, I could fancy myself or I could yearn to be a meditator, but unless I'm actually doing it, then um, then I am not, <laughs> you know, uh, and it doesn't have to be 10 minutes. It could be one minute. Uh, in fact, that is how I started my exercise routine. I don't remember if I've spoken about this on the Stoke Jew podcast, but basically I have a really hard time uh, exercising. I managed to employ techniques from Atomic Habits, uh, namely habit stacking, where you take something that you're already doing and then you stack a new habit onto it. So I use that 
to do uh, exercises right when I wake up. As soon as I put my feet on the ground off of my bed, I get down and I do push-ups, then I do sit-ups. But that was it. But then I, uh, after Pesach last year, I decided to make this into a routine to try to use my elliptical. And I decided that after I do my push-ups and sit-ups, I'll do one minute on the elliptical. And I, and, uh, uh, I did one minute. And then the next week I increased it to two minutes, then three minutes, then four, uh, and so on and so on and so on. And before I knew it, I was someone who was an exerciser because I was doing it every day. And I only was able to do it every day because I started doing it in small doses. Uh, but again, that's already even too much. That's talking about habit formation. He just is saying, just do it today. Okay. Just do a little bit of it today. And that I believe is what the idea is of the Aserius Mate Shuva, or at least an approach to the Aserius Mate Shuva. I think if you look at the Aserius Mate Shuva and you say, I'm going to use these 10 days to completely do a radical overhaul on my personality and completely change uh, all the bad stuff that I, uh, I'm doing and all the bad habits that are ingrained in me and become the super person that you're setting yourself up for failure. And even if you say, I'm going to like set up new habits that are going to last for the entire year, that is also going to be a failure in many cases. But what can you do? You could do one mitzvah, okay? You could avoid doing one sin. You could give tzedakah every day of the Eser Shimei Teshuvah. You can uh, do, you know, increase a mitzvah in a small amount. You know, it's, it, what, it, what I think the, the, the design of this custom is trying to do is it's trying to implement what uh, Berkman is saying and by extension what Marcus really is saying is it's trying to get you to focus on individual acts that are in line with your values but evidently you don't live in accordance with those values year-round. You know, you're, you fall short. So what do you do is you choose these little things to do during the Yisrael Yisrael Teshuvah and and that actually makes you into a different person because who are you? You are what you do and what you choose. So by making yourself into someone who does a little bit of tzedakah every day, you are now making yourself into a tzedakah giver. You know, by doing one step further in a mitzvah that you have been lax in or that you have not taken upon yourself, then you are moving one step more in the direction of being someone who keeps mitzvahs. Um, so I think that's the focus. The focus is not on a radical overhaul of the personality. It's not even on setting up habits that will will continue to the future. It's about doing that one mitzvah and realizing that it's those little changes that can shift the entire uh, trajectory of your development in the direction of good or in the direction of bad and can ultimately affect the world. That is it for today's episode. If you have gained what you've heard here, learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss and my Zell and PayPal are matt-schneeweiss.gmail.com. Um, and uh, even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywc.gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.